This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. Our topic today is the paranormal, specifically the seemingly supernatural events that took place at 284 Green Street in Enfield, North London. These have inspired fictional films such as The Conjuring 2 and still haunt people 46 years later. Join us in this Halloween edition of Factual America as we talk with the award-winning director Jerry Rothwell about how he turned 200 hours of recordings made in the house into a four-part docuseries that brings the events to life. Stay tuned. Jerry Rothwell, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Hi, Matthew. Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. We're talking about the Enfield Poltergeist. Uh, four-part docuseries premieres on Apple TV Plus on October 27th. So welcome again to Factual America, and congratulations on the release of, of your doc. Um, you must be uh, pretty happy about that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it drops in 104 countries at the same time. So I mean, I'm used to kind of making feature docs, which kind of come out in a much slower, a slower way through festivals. So yeah, it's quite a quite a new experience for me. Yeah. So, um, well, again, what? Uh, so welcome again, and uh, just for our listeners and viewers, um, many of them will have not, maybe not had a chance to see this yet. Maybe you can tell us what is the Enfield Poltergeist all about. So um, th- what's known as the kind of Enfield Poltergeist events were, were a set of events that happened in, in London in 1977. Uh, I think in August, end of August 1977, uh, uh, a woman and her family started to kind of see strange phenomena in their house. I think it began with knocking that would kind of follow mm-hmm. them around the house. And then furniture, heavy furniture started moving around the room. This is what they reported. And then gradually over the next 18 months, um, you know, more and more people visited this house. It was visited by obviously the kind of ghost hunters, but also by journalists, by police, by physicists who were fascinated in this, in these phenomena. Um, and the phenomena kind of escalated. And, and in a way, it's the story of those 18 months. Okay. And maybe to get really basic here, what is a poltergeist? Well, a poltergeist is it comes it comes from a German word meaning a noisy a noisy spirit, mm-hmm. um, and these phenomena, which you know are, are kind of uh, as I say, kind of knockings, the movement of objects, sometimes people being thrown around, sometimes voices appearing, are things that have been experienced since they've been reported. I think since Roman times, or certainly since the Middle Ages, often centering on on young people, uh, particularly mm-hmm. young teenage girls. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think there's any kind of adequate explanation for them out there or any definitive explanation. Okay. And you have, I mean, there's even many of your subjects that come on. Um, I think even one said it was even hard for her to define exactly what it is. But uh, it's, it is what you've, you've just said. It's, uh, but I guess what ties them all together, all these events, is that you've got this... Uh, noises and family tensions and children and adolescents basically exactly um, yeah yeah and i mean in this case you know I, 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 you, you maybe about to say this but you know for us it was the fact that there were these 250 hours of tape recordings which had been made during this period of time that was the kind of starting point yeah well i was going to ask you about that so why you, you know you dig deep into this one particular event the uh in enfield in uh north london um and, you know, why this particular case and, and why now? 
So I think it's probably, you know, one of the most well-known and certainly well-documented cases. I mean, I can remember as a 15-year-old, this case hitting the front page of the Daily Mirror, which at the time was like the biggest selling newspaper in right. the UK, you know. So a whole generation, my generation of teenagers had our kind of, our view of reality sort of shattered by these these events that were being reported from the house in Enfield. Um, and then, you know, fast forward 45 years, my producer and I discovered that there are these tapes um, made by uh, a British inventor called Morris Gross, who had his own reasons for being interested in, in the supernatural or interested in, let's say, paranormal phenomena, because I think he would say they, were, they must be natural phenomena, they can't be supernatural, there must be an explanation. Right. Um, and he set about incredibly diligently um, recording uh, and taking notes um and i guess why now um it's it's a story that's been revisited you know several times over the last 40 years um particularly in fiction i think the difference with ours is what we're trying to do is assemble all this documentary material um we use a technique in the series where uh we we started from these tapes but then we thought okay well if we build a replica of the house and we kind of fill that with the sounds of of these recordings which are incredibly ambiguous you know sound is always you know makes mm. you demands images but but you can't necessarily tell where a sound is coming from and then we work with actors to lip sync uh the audio recording so what you have is a series which has a kind of actuality about the sound and a layer of interpretation about the picture on top of that and that felt like an appropriate way of thinking about and dealing with and exploring ghosts no, it's it's, and I have seen the as we were discussing earlier. I have seen the uh, all four episodes. It's quite remarkable. I mean, you're uh, must have been a lot of fun as a documentarian to play. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was certainly intense as a shoot. You know, an awful lot of uh, of, of material to do, um, but really a really interesting thing to do. And and kind of as the more and more we listened to and explored the tapes, you know, the more and more things you would notice, and the more and more. It almost felt like the tapes were directing the series. You know, someone moved from from left to right. Suddenly you'd realize that, you know, an extra person was in the room or, you know, that mm. someone had moved from one side of the room to the other. And these things are kind of important when you're talking about unexplained phenomena. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was fascinating. So you all, and what's interesting is also is that it's it's more than just a soundstage for recreation. It becomes almost, it also becomes a, a memory triggering device as well yeah. for for the subjects that end up showing up in 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 your uh, in your series yeah exactly i mean i think i think in some ways it's like the actors are kind of haunted by these sounds there's some something really uncanny about this this technique mm. but also yeah we we the series talks to people who actually went to the house and experienced it and we take some of them back into this set and and use the set as a way of telling their stories and because as you said and as you remember it, as a 15-year-old, this was extremely well documented at the time, certainly through Mar Morris Gross's sound recordings, but also with the Daily Mirror's photography and stuff like that. So you just literally, you had a photo and you, re exactly what you had, you re recreated the bedrooms and the kitchen and the, and the living room, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. I mean, our production designer, uh, Natalie O'Connor, like Morris was a very kind of diligent scientific guy. So one of the first thing he did, he was a sort of architectural plan of the house, you know, with, with all wow. the kind of measure measurements on it right. and where the furniture was and how far away it was. And if it moved, how far it was thought to have moved. And so we were able to essentially use that plan as the starting point for our 
for our design, our set design. And then Natalie kind of, we had these photographs which enabled us to source, you know, the wallpaper, the carpets, the, the pictures. Plus um, we worked with Janet and Margaret, who are the two young girls at the center mm -hmm. of the story. And, and they lent us things from the actual house. So in the set, there are actually things that were in the house in Green Street. It's a strange hybrid of, of kind wow. of fiction and documentary. So you you were saying you and uh, I think one of your producers came came across these. Is that how this all started? How did you become involved with the with the project? Yeah, I did, yeah, really from from those tapes. Um, uh, you know, I'm always interested when there is a kind of a, a large archival source to explore something. You know, perhaps an archival source that hasn't been looked at before, um, and you know, particularly where I guess a lot of my documentaries are about the kind of point where, you know, reality and our ideas about reality meet, you know, what's in our heads and what's out there. And and these tapes are kind of exactly on that on that line. You know, they're, they're, what Morris did was he would inter interview anyone that, that had experienced a phenomena, often a phenomenon, often in, immediately afterwards, um, you know, so you'll have these kind of breathless mm. uh, comments on something that's just happened. Um, and, he, but he also left the tape running, you know, he would just leave the tape running for, you know, half an hour, an hour at a time. So you get the kind of context of the family life of occasionally a scream, a, a knock, a bang, something falling over, um, you know, and it felt the combination of these these sounds and stories uh, was just a really fruitful mm. thing to explore in a documentary because documentaries are always about kind of what's what's real. You know, it was asked the question, what's real? And that hopefully is what the series does. And for, I mean, as, as you already know, there are a lot of people who know about this story and will have looked, watched, uh, you know, the, the fictional uh, films and also... I'm sure there's loads of YouTube videos and stuff out there, but what is it that you're they're going to see or hear that they haven't that they've not experienced before? You think is the main main I, point? I mean, I, I guess because it's it's a documentary, we we try not to add the kind of the flowerings of kind of horror horror on top right. of this story. You know, we try to stay true to what actually happened as reported or what was reported. Um, and what we give people is, is I suppose, an enormous kind of array of the evidence that was used at the time. And I think we leave an audience to make its own judgments about what was happening in the house. Okay. Um, I'm going to give our listeners a quick uh, break here, but we'll be right back with uh, Jerry Rothwell, director of the Enfield Poltergeist, four-part docuseries, premieres on Apple TV Plus on October 27th. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or X to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Jerry Rothwell, award-winning director of the Enfield Poltergeist. It's a four-part docuseries premieres on Apple TV Plus on October 27th. So we've been watch, talking about uh, these events in, um, in 1977. I think they then go into 1978 as well uh, with the Hodgson family at, uh, in, in Enfield. Uh, one thing that struck me, uh, maybe not too much of a spoiler alert, but, uh, uh, you know, you've already talked, it, it's, it's, this has inspired some fictional um, uh, films, something like Conjuring 2, and 
What I notice is that uh, that's about Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are quite famous, but the, they barely get more than a mention in the in your in four hours <laughs> worth of filming. So why is that? Well, yeah, Ed and Lorraine Warren visited the house twice. I think yeah. um, you know M- Morris Gross was there three four days a week for eighteen months. Um, you know, so Morris and Guy, his his associate in this. Um, really took on the bulk of the investigation. By the time um, Ed and Lorraine Warren turned up, it was, I think, mid-78 was their first visit, maybe in mm. May 78, um, by which time actually the phenomena were largely over, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for us, for us, it's the story of, of the kind of, of Morris's investigation and of Morris's encounter with the family. Um and it's not the conjuring version. Yeah. <laughs> but they had en- they, they had enough material to make a, a, a film out of it, obviously, and run with it. But uh, um, so, what were your thoughts on this subject going in? I mean, were you a believer or a skeptic? Or- uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I often try to sort of wonder what, what, what attracted me to it. And I think there's, there's a thing. My 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 grandfather was a vicar, and my mum grew up in an old vicarage. And as a child, she would tell me these stories about what she felt were the hauntings in this house. So one night, I remember she told me she'd woken up and her bed was entirely surrounded by the, all the furniture in the room had been moved to surround her bed. Right. So I had these kind of stories as a kid. And I guess as a kid, you're always thinking, well, I, you know, hang on. Okay, what what really happened there? Um, right. You know, and I, I wonder sometimes whether those kind of stories are the things that kind of has taken me into documentary making into this thing where you're you're trying to find the truth of a situation amongst all of the stories that people right. tell about it um so i get i guess that sort of possibly is what is what attracted me to it uh it att- attracts me to it as a subject um mm. yeah i get I, and i you know i suppose i'm uh, you know what we try and do in the series is kind of give space to both those who believe that the phenomena are supernatural and to those that dismiss them altogether and say that there are entirely kind of social psychological explanations of this um you know and and for me i don't kind of fall completely on either side of that i think um you know i think there are lots of possible explanations um on either side of those of those arguments i think at 40 years distance i mean one of the fascinating things about it is it's kind of intangible and all we have is is these stories right so i mean what do you think happened at 284 green street in Enfield? you're gonna push me into it aren't you? i've spent a long time trying to keep an audience on that knife edge between, between belief and disbelief so it probably won't i don't want to diminish their experience i i actually couldn't i, I don't think i could tell you i'd be full of you yeah. know my answer would last like two hours far longer than this podcast and would waver between kind of one thing and another. Would be, but this and then there's that, and, you know, which I think is how a lot of people think yeah, about these things. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, you know, there's a great book, I think it's called The Natural History of Ghosts, um, mm. where the guy in his introduction says, you know, the, the, the kind of least interesting thing you can say about ghosts is whether they exist or not. You know, what, ghosts exist because right. people see them. And then, and, and so the, the question is, in a way, what, what do they mean and why do we need them? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I guess what is obviously true is that whatever you think, though, and what your what the docu series shows is that who all those who were involved were profoundly impacted by this. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, for for certainly for Jen and Margaret who are at the center of this, 
yeah, I think it's profoundly affected their lives in various ways. You know, and some of that is because of the 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 events themselves, and some of it is because of people's reactions to the events. You know, so so of course there's a there's a fascination with this story, and often people don't really think about the the impact of this story on on two young girls and the impact of the fascination as well. Mm. And so, I mean. You've listened to all these tapes. You had all 200 hours, I imagine, (laughs) for your your sins. Uh, And uh, you've then also now interviewed and and encountered people who were in the rooms and in there. I mean, what what struck you? Um, Let's say about Janet Hodgson and and her family, the the family members who you were able to interview or are still around. Yeah, I mean, I I guess first of all, to say, you know, that... you know, most of those who visited the house came out um, absolutely kind of believing in the phenomena. Something, yeah. Oh, yeah. In something. Yeah. It might be that there was a tendency of those who who already believed in something to visit the house, which could mm. you know, it's probably not a scientific survey. Right. Um, and 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 I do I kind of do just you know I think people want to either say this is fraud or or it's supernatural, you know, and and I think that the you know the argument that these two young girls thought up in advance this whole schema and uh, and carried it off as a fraud you know to me isn't credible you know you only got to spend a very short amount of time with Janice now to realize the impact it had on her and and to realize kind of her belief in it um so so yeah I don't I I think that's this kind of dead end I think what's what's interesting is you know how does a how and why do a people a, a group of people in a house come to believe something? That's the, you mm. know, which is which for me says a lot about all kinds of things in our modern world. You know, how do we come? To, why do we believe? What do we believe? How do we form the opinions we, we form? What's the kind of evidence for them? Um, and obviously, as much those the evidence for those things is as much in the stories we tell and are told as in you know hard mm. scientific phenomena. And speaking of which, and what I think I found to be a very uh, is a someone who's not native to these lands, we're based here in the UK. Um, the Society for Psychical Research seemed like such a quintessential British British institution, but they are these people who are doing this just this that you also encountered, that were yeah, trying absolutely. to bring some I mean, sort of, bring the scientific method up to a point, but then also, as you say, what do you believe, what is real, what isn't real? They also came with their own biases, both for and against, when they when they were examining all this yeah i mean this yeah the society for psycho research was formed in the 1880s you know it's had extremely yeah. famous members you know right. from from uh conan doyle to, That's to right. british british prime ministers um it got a big boost i think um at the end of the first world war when a lot of people had lost their sons in the war and right. had experiences of their sons returning to them in some form or trying to speak to them from beyond the grave and there was a a, a, a a lot of the a lot of the founders like people like Oliver Lodge were also physicists, so they had this kind of grounding in science, and they really they believed that there were these phenomena which weren't explained, and and that's why the society existed. And within the society, there's a huge range of views from from the spiritualist to the skeptic, um, and and certainly in the seventies, I think there was a kind of a, a a kind of explosion of interest in these kinds of phenomena. I mean, you can see it in the in the culture in films like, you know, The Exorcist and, right. and that th- th- happened a couple of years before Enfield and, and many of the events in The Exorcist bear an uncanny resemblance to things that happen in uh, right. 
in Enfield. Um, but yeah, it's a strange, uh, a kind of strange and intriguing society, which as a student, actually, I did used to attend the meetings uh, of, oh. <laughs> uh, of uh, uh, the Psycho Research Society a couple of times. So I had some personal experience of that. Were you a card carrying member? <laughs> I was not a card. I was a fellow traveler. I think you call a fellow traveler with, of someone who was a card carrying member. Yeah. And then you've got more. I mean, then you've got this this character. We get back to the guy who's the source of all this, and the, in terms of the the uh, audio, is uh, Morris Gross, who's quite a mm-hmm. quite an intriguing character as well. Who brings his own, as you point out, poignantly, I think, in episode four, is his own sort of. Uh, how best to put it? But is it well certainly his own Reason. stresses and and de- you know, however you put it uh, to the story that uh, whether whatever you think either either it uh, compounded things or or whatever was was involved and how he got involved. But that it's it's an interesting sort of full circle to all this. Yeah, I mean, he's an Morris is an extraordinary character. He 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 was an inventor. He was a he was at Dunkirk. Um, he he didn't go to university because the war interrupted that. I think if he had, he would have become a kind of scientist or a physicist himself or something. Uh, but he had a he had a very engineering brain. Became an inventor who who invented things that we you know are familiar to us. You know the rolling advertising board or the newspaper right. dispenser. You know these and. I think he'd re- he'd reached an age in which he'd had you know he'd had a pers- personal tragedy, which you know you'll find out about in in uh, the series, which had made him convinced of of the possibility that there was mm. that, that, that 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 paranormal phenomena were were real and with his engineering and scientific brain kind of set out trying to discover that and hence his huge amounts of recording because I think he felt that what he would be able to do is capture on tape mm. on 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 tape or in photographs something that proved um you know, in this case, the existence of the poltergeist. Well, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you more than credit. I'll give you, but I'll give you loads of credit because I, I must say, when I was watching through the whole thing, you know, whole scenes. And we won't do, we won't do any spoilers here. But you know, scenes where you're like, well, I see why they're saying, wow, this is obviously evidence. But then I also can see, well, I could also see how that could be staged, or you know, not not. I'm not talking about the um, the girls pulling some big vast hoax but you can see how you can suspend disbelief and also have disbelief um and i guess this gets this point you said it's something that uh not to get too philosophical here but you something that you look in, in certainly a subject of your films but uh says a lot about human experience how we perceive things can we ever really can we ever know the truth we can certainly seek it i think um, whether we can you know i guess our knowledge of it is always partial uh like the i mean the last film i made the reason i jump was was about um non-speaking autistic people and and i and started from a book which really to me showed a kind of way of looking at the world without the sort of neurotypical mm. filters most of us have and that the world then appears very differently you know and, yeah. and, and what you what you pay attention to is is very different and, and i think increasingly you know, there's a lot of work in neuroscience that explores the way the brain is actually kind of you know rather than perceiving things directly is kind of creating a model for what it thinks the world is look, look looks like and then detecting mm. change in it you know so you are you know our brains are kind of like um 
I, I guess the, the heart of the argument around paranormality is, is the brain a filter? Does it only show us a bit of the world and there's a whole bunch of the world that we can't see, you know, or does it actually make the world? Is there nothing out there and only what's in our heads? Or I guess another way of looking at it is, uh, uh, are we really tapping the full powers of the human brain? I mean, are most that's of true. Us, that, that's, that's true too, for sure, yeah. So... I guess speaking of which, I'm trying to make a segue here. What is, because uh, I don't, I think we're going to be, I'm going to be warned here very shortly that it's time to uh, cut our time off. Uh, but uh, um, it's been great having you on. What is, what's next for you? More ghost stories? What's, uh, do you have no, anything in the works? Yeah, I mean, after you, after you complete something like this, you know, you, there's lots of people urging you to do like series two. Or, you know, yeah, exactly. Not a similar story for me always when I've kind of, you know, it's taken three, four years to do this. I, 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 you know, you immerse yourself. The joy of and privilege of documentary making is you kind of immerse yourself in a world and then can can look at something different after it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm actually about to do a, a series about the the next moon landing, the Artemis program from NASA. So it's completely different, but it's about space and infinity, and maybe that has something in in you know common with ghosts. Okay, well, we'd uh, when that drops, we'd love to have you on if we haven't haven't scared you off. So th- thanks again so much, uh, Jerry Rothwell, award-winning director of the Enfield Poltergeist four-part docu series premieres on Apple TV Plus on October twenty seventh, just ahead of Halloween. I'm sure that's a pure coincidence. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, great to have you on, and we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks again for joining us on Factual America. A big shout out to everyone at Intersound Audio in York, England for their great studio and fine editing and production skills. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager, who ensures we continue getting great guests onto the show and that everything otherwise runs smoothly. Finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please also remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, which specializes in documentaries, television, and shorts about the U.S. for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is factualamerica.com.